Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in my backyard, which is quickly becoming our new studio now that the weather is nice. As we are recording yet another episode, that is just Mike and I. Uh, I think this is two or three in a row, but the wingy nets are kind of thrown in, so it might be confusing. Um, But that doesn't mean it's just Mike and I in total. We have a guest who some of you will know. Uh, Pastor John Bordelin is joining us. John, you want to say hi? Hi. And if you're not familiar with Pastor Borland, go back through the episodes and you will find him on a number of them. We are happy to be recording here tonight. I apologize if there's a lot of background noise. Um, the last winging it session, those who listen are going to realize that my neighbor has a Harley Davidson, a very Milwaukee thing to have, um, but he really had that thing going. So uh, it's later now. It's what, 9, 10? So it should be uh, getting a little quieter here in the city. But we're going to be recording today uh, an episode that can we don't know where it's going to go. And we normally plan these out very closely. In fact, they're usually scripted. Mike, I think that's fair to say. We decided this five minutes before we recorded. Usually we're about 15 minutes before we recorded. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with this. Um, but the theme of the episode is kind of going to be three of us guys sitting around. Are we all 40 now? We're all 40 now. They nodded their heads, which is great for podcasting. And uh, we're kind of just, just hurt that you don't know my birthday. I'm hurt that well, you don't know my birthday. November, before Nove- me. It's your year that I get my, You're a year younger than me, I thought. No. no. November 6th. Yeah, and I'm November 7th. Oh, November But I, nice. I honestly thought you were a year younger than when's me. When's my birthday? Because I was like always the old kid when's, in my class. When's my birthday? Your birthday? Um, okay. January 3rd. <sighs> nope. All right. What is it? I'm not telling tell you. the people what's your social security I'm not, number. I'm not, I'm not telling you. All right, I'm gonna. But read. Uh, no, we didn't. I didn't say the topic yet, Mike. You got to chill. You're getting antsy here. We did just record a wing in it. Um, Mike is just raring to get stuff done. But uh, we're going to be talking about as people who just turned forty or have been forty for a while, uh, things that as forty year olds who happen to be pastors, we wish maybe in the past we, or maybe we're grateful that we did too, but. Um, had spent more time with, had appreciated more, things of that nature. Uh, and we're going to get there via a free-for-all. We won't have a scripture narrative uh, today. We're not. That's not something we do every episode, but when it fits, we like to do it. And I will mention as well, Mike tried to cut this off before we got it in, which we're supposed to, but we are a uh, part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. We are looking forward to being out in San Diego in October. We all have, except for Ben, who has family stuff. Um, a baby did, coming. Did Peter actually book his for sure? I don't know. He said he was going to do it the same night I did. Mike did it way ahead of time. Total team player, you know, 1517 must love him. And then I waited cheaper and price. Then Peter waited longer. It was cheaper for Mike. And uh, to be fair, he takes up less seat. And uh, Not by much. Well, by a fair amount. But we uh, are happy to be a part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Uh, go check them out. There's a number of podcasts. If you don't like one, there's another one that you might like. Uh, just make sure that you keep coming back to us, hopefully. If you don't, that's fine. Just keep telling people you like us. Pretend you're listening. Uh, we appreciate that as well. But with that being said, Mike, why don't you... Uh, and, and can you not read the part that you've penciled in? I know you did it last time, and I I just think we're better without it, Mike, but you do what you want to do. This show, which, by the way, is Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. 
So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. We're back for our free-for-all. Today we are going to talk about uh, European travels. Uh, all three of us have taken multiple trips to Europe. Uh, one of the best things you can do, I, I think many of us, uh, probably all three of us, ran into like Canadians or Australians where it's not mandated, but but you go in that those cultures. You go and you go to Europe and you see what Western civilization is all about. And I had parents who both went in their college years or seminary years for in the case of my dad I think maybe it was college but uh, it was just ingrained in me that that's something that you do and I've tried to put that into my that bug into my uh, children's ears too that this is important for you to do if you're going to know cultures there's two way to there's two ways to be multicultural and that is learning a language and then also doing traveling and, and YouTube that's the third I don't think YouTube really counts Unless it teaches you teaches you how to speak a different language. We'll get to you. I'm going to introduce this. So we think it's very valuable to do that. And so we're going to talk about some of our favorite things that we saw or did. Um, Are you going to pay for your kids to go over there, Mike? I have. Now listen to this. I have. I bought each of the three listen, girls. This is like a very, my grandpa used to say that to me. Three girls. I bought them stock when they entered the first grade each of them and i said you can use that money for travels doesn't have to be europe you have to use that for travel does can't be spring break though you <laughs> use those for travels and if you don't want to travel that's fine but i get the money back so to encourage them to do those things could it be Summerfest? nope has to be outside of it has to be outside of north america what if you go to Epcot? Does that count nope. as outside of North America? Nope. Yeah, because it's it's kind nope. of you know theoretically, nope. imaginatively outside of. Nope. What if physically outside of North America? I'm trying to think. Of, all right, I'm gonna think about this. Like maybe you know, there's certain parts of, of America that. What if they want to just like go a, to like a vacuum of a place and use this money? You would let them use it. Give me an example. Um, I want to go to Mongolia where no one lives to some remote village that no one has lived in for 50 years and not to do historical research, but because I heard they have great Wi-Fi. Good for you. Because it'll be experience. They'll realize there's no Wi-Fi out there. No, there's great Wi-Fi. That's the whole reason for going, I just said. There's great Wi-Fi in Mongolia? I don't know why there is, but it's like an anomaly. (laughs) I would accept. It's like a Bernie man for Wi-Fi. I would accept that. John, do you have money saved up for your kids to travel? No. Yeah. I don't either. Um, but I would encourage them to pay. You and Amanda, you really plan stuff. You guys have... You're a lot more responsible than we are. I feel like... Uh, I'd agree. All right. I so have set aside probably tomorrow for them to eat. We're not very really good about 
setting aside tomorrow what they're going to eat, but we got grand plans. I'm going to start just pumping them with place ideas. What about if they went to like Disney World France and not Europe? Like they they only went there, all inclusive, Disney World France. You got me on that one. That wouldn't be very difficult for me to to say okay to. But I feel like they're meeting your parameters. They would have to navigate the French rail system, and so I'm going to accept it. But I wouldn't be happy about it. What if I paid for them to have someone go with them to pick them up at the airport and drive them straight to Disney World France, blindfold them so they see no street signs in (laughs) French, and then buy them McDonald's every day? Uh, That would take planning on your part, so I know it's not going to happen. So, John... (laughs) Give me some of your best uh, European travel memories. Yeah, so I've been to Europe twice uh, as a senior in college and then a couple of years ago, um, and both times were family connections. Uh, a trip to Italy um, to see uh, my paternal grandmother's uh, family, and then um, to Croatia to see my paternal grandfather's family. So I would say the the best memory uh, and how was your world cup with the flying inflations this year you know i did sit down and watch the second half of the semifinal, and uh, my kids completely called me on it and said dad you don't like soccer you know but i i was proud what if italy played croatia in the final in four years oh you gotta cheer for go croatia you would go croatia have to go croatia right because he's a michigan boy with croatian background you got to go underdog so I would say that the best memory of both of those trips was uh, sitting um, in the kitchen of the modest homes of uh, family members, uh, second cousins, uh, third cousins that didn't know her uh, relation until we got there, and they just welcomed their homes up. And uh, to get to experience Europe um, that way, uh, those were lasting, lasting memories. Stayed in Croatia, stayed in the home that my great-grandfather built, that is now Which was owned, owned by someone with your last name who's now owned related by to a Bordelin. I know because I was not there. Yeah. Our family, yeah. So, um, but met some other cousins while we were there in this village of forty people. Remember how many Catholics were in that village of forty people? Wait. <laughs> so this is great. We we get in there and the day. We, so, and you got to talk about the bus ride down. Yeah, I'm gonna try to think of a different different thing for me. But this it was just a great trip and. Uh, so it was a trip we went on because I got invited last minute because someone backed out for a flacious conference. And so somehow they were desperate and, you know, a guy working on his dissertation got invited. And uh, They searched the whole world for people that were writing dissertation. Well, I had inflation, written some other stuff. but it came to you. Yeah, it worked out. And, uh, and John and I had talked. And, and I, I'm not big on traveling alone because I hate flying. Like, I would rather die with someone than die alone on a plane is a big take, you know, in my life of, I just feel like I'd be more, it'd be more like a collegial death, you know, but, um, but John, I was like, oh, I've got family over there. I wonder how close it is. We Google it. We end up going to, to this island and I was getting kind of frustrated with him because we took the, the ferry over. We went, came into Zagreb, great city. And I will say, and John might say the same, like if I ever get to go back to Europe for not like a, it's just, I'm going to go back and see something with my wife or even with my older kids just to enjoy it. Croatia is it. Like it would be the place for me, but we go to Zagreb, have a blast in Zagreb, have probably one of the best waiters I've ever had at a restaurant. We can't tell that story, but, um, 
but we get there, you know, we take this bus and, and, and navigating the public transport was interesting, I, I think, somewhat. Um, but we finally get over there and we're like, okay, now it's time to get our bus to this village where John's family is from, which is on an island. Um, and the bus is a school bus. It's the one bus it from the ferry terminal to this little village, Bailey. And, and it's, it's a school bus. And it's not even a school, like a full school bus. It's like a, uh, I would say it's like when you go to the airport and they have, um, well, like when we went to LaGuardia or whatever and, and they had like the one that takes you to the parking or the Uber ride. Shuttle bus. Yeah, yeah shuttle bus. That's And uh, so we're on this bus and there's like a, these couple kids kind of misbehaving, like they're acting up, whatever. And I'm like, oh man, these kids, they're really misbehaving there or whatever. You know, um, it's kind of interesting to see, but it's a basically a one lane road. You can't call this a two lane road. On mountain like edges, or at least that big was hills. the Adriatic Sea right beneath right. us. Yeah, and I'm terrified of heights. I don't do roller coasters. I can barely drive across the Mackinac Bridge. I can only do it if I'm on the inside lane, and I can't do it as a passenger. I have to be driving so that I have the option to crash into oncoming traffic before I go off the bridge. Like that <laughs> is just how bad I am. And uh, at one point, there was another car coming, and we backed up like. I don't know if that was a quarter mile or what, yeah, but... But, like, to a ledge, like, there was not, like, a place to just back up into. It was, like... And the driver didn't have, like, one of those video cameras, whatever. He just kind of backs up to this thing. And so we get to this town, and it turns out the town has 42 people. And we're walking up, I mean, just two fat guys. And I think it was somewhat rainy. It was slippery um, that day. This, I mean, old Roman stone path. I mean, these stones are from the Romans. And, uh... Um... We get up and we we get to meet some of John's family. Remember, they are all gathered in the city square right after a funeral. right after a burial. And so they're right. at this bar, which is the one bar in town, which is still one of the best bars I've been to. Um, Carlovaco, French fries, lamb, great place. And we met the one atheist in town, <laughs> and he informs us. He informs us first. He's the atheist, and then. Uh, Everyone else like you meet in town. Like, four grandmas then talk to us after, and they're like, yes, this town has 42 people. There's 41 Catholics and one atheist. And <laughs> and so here we're Lutherans, but they don't realize John is Lutheran at this point either. And uh, we finally get up the hill. We get to, to where we're staying, which is the house that uh, John's grandfather built. Great-grandfather. Who's now born yep. by a Bordelon, who's from Italy, but not related to John. And... Uh, um. I forget what I'm supposed to be getting to specifically with this, but just the confluence of events. Anyways, we end up having dinner at his cousin's house, which I have to say, too, one of the things I really regret in life is not being in contact with that family more because they were so gracious to us, and those kids were great, and we gave them American names. It was, what, Jim Bob and... uh, (laughs) We gave them compound names, like Southern names, and we're playing soccer with this, this church square on this hilltop, um... And two fat Americans. And I, I mean, getting pretty, we could kick hard, you know, we couldn't run fast. And, uh, but then we, but the best part was we didn't meet these kids till we go over and we go to, to meet, have dinner with them. And these kids realize these are the two fat Americans that were on the bus with us when we were misbehaving. <laughs> and you could totally tell it was a moment of bonding because they were thinking, are you going to rat us out? And we were thinking, we know someone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, but I'll let John, you go from there. No. Yeah. And remember, uh, so I'd be like my dad's second cousin. Uh, she's the custodian of the church there. And so, uh, remember when you, uh, when she, when she asked what we, uh, 
what we did for a living, and it came out that we were Lutheran pastors, and that look on her face was, uh, you're a Protestant. Well, and I think it came up because she's like, would you like me to show you the church? And I said, oh, we'd love that, because they have like a 13th That's century right. black Madonna in there. And, uh, and I said, but can Lutherans go in? And she looks and she looks at John and says, you are a Lutheran. Yeah, you're Protestant, and then that straight face, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, But just so gracious. I mean, a wonder, talk about a church in a church square that just had eight, nine centuries of, whether you agree with all the theology or not, and they have a priest, that, this, this priest they loved who had, recently, you know, um, fallen ill, but lived to he like a hundred and they the would carry him up the hill for, you know, for mass. Um, yeah, but to see, th- there was a couple fun things I got to do with that, with, with John, with the family, but the look on her face with the Lutherans. So now the town had 41 Catholics, one atheist and two <laughs> Lutherans roaming around. Um, so that, you would say, uh, yeah. And, so uh, that just that family meal, and uh, and then thinking back to uh, senior year of college, uh, where this would be my grandmother's cousins, and uh, traveling with a classmate, uh, Pastor David Horton, and uh, they had us for a family meal where thirty-five of the family came out, and only one of them spoke English. And so you had 35 Italians, and, and I looked like I could fit in there. And Dave Horton, who, you know, maybe stuck out in that group. And same thing. It was just uh, they welcomed us wide open arms and uh, memories I won't ever forget. So I would put mine up there, and I'll be short. I would say probably Croatia and the experience. And I keep saying it wrong, but Bailey. They said mm-hmm. Belly, Bailey. Um and I would love to go back, although I don't know if I could take that bus ride again, to be honest. And I don't think I could drive it myself. But um, Jason Oakland and I um, and my brother-in-law went to Germany. And one of the other connections that was just really, really fun uh, was that as part of that trip, um, two things that worked out great was I had contacted in uh, um, where Paul Gerhardt had kind of been exiled after... Re- refusing to be quiet about the uh, Prussian Union, or I might be messing up the title for it, but the Union of the Reformed and the Lutherans. And the pastor was so happy to talk to us and uh, got to get my picture took in uh, Paul Gerhardt's pulpit and talk to this pastor well in the night and grow to appreciate my parish context through what he was going through in former Eastern Europe with, you know, thousands of members but no one in church. But then also um, going to Eisenach and st- we, I always stay in hostels like super cheap like this is. And there, there's a couple other moments I won't share because I don't want to embarrass people. They're not bad stories, but they're, they're what they are. But um, with Jason and, and, and Travis, and then we stayed in this hostel in Eisenach and a youth group uh, and uh, this Pastor Ulrich, I won't share his last name, but Pastor Ulrich, that was bringing his, his youth group, his confirmation group to see the Vortberg. And talking to him and just a fantastic conversation Jason and I had with him about our different ministry contexts, which really just led me to not want to take for granted what I had in the States here, um, but also kind of became like a nice uh, contact back and forth type. And I would say, you know, Ulrich wasn't where his response wasn't what my response would be to the state church. It probably uh, leaned more towards Methodism, um, but really just eye-opening for me for understanding like I'm going to go teach catechism class with six kids in it and praise God because I have a church that's 
giving offerings to you know it just um i think both were very eye-opening and fun conversations uh that uh you know i wouldn't have had otherwise and so i would go with that after croatia but i think definitely uh bailey was just uh it just that restaurant bar i mean john's cousin's coming down and getting us to buy him ice cream and the uh Oh, I, we need to be in touch with them, but that was good. All right, Mike, your story. Well, I've been to Europe, I don't know, maybe four times, two for classes, one with my wife, and then uh, one for three months between college and seminary, and so I have far too many stories to tell. But uh, some of the highlights, I think, um, uh, you know, Prague and the great museums like uh, Prado and, and the Louvre um, were all great. Um, but I think... If if someone would ask me advice, a young person who wants to go to Europe, and nobody nobody's going to ask that, but if they did, um, a couple of things I would say is, you know, go to the small towns and talk to people. Um, the other thing too is don't skimp on the food, right? Uh, eat some of the some of the local food as best you can as your as your budget allows, because that that really is part of the culture. Uh, we Americans don't really, despite all the the, the Food Network and all these shows on on, on TV about uh, uh, contests about baking and, and all that. We don't really, really appreciate fine food as, as much as Europeans do. And so to go to Italy and to actually have something that's Italian and to go to other places and uh, get the local fare is really, really, I think, important to immerse yourself into the culture. I, I think one of the, the highlights that I had was talking to people on trains. We had uh, so cheap when I went. Uh, we, we spent... Well, you a, guys used trains as hotels, you said, didn't you? <clears throat> oh, on occasion. We had uh, we paid for it just so cheap when you think about it. It was $1,500 for an unlimited train ticket for three months. It was just absolutely... I mean, you can never, ever ever duplicate that and and the the dollar was was in our favor at that time too and it was before the for the euro and so it was just some places were just so dirt cheap you you could get a you could get a five-star uh restaurant meal for two dollars <laughs> you know i mean especially in places like uh prague that i mentioned and and places in italy and spain um but talking to to people was just fascinating and and the first time i went was during the gore bush um election and so uh we left in september and we had an election obviously in november and we didn't have a president until we got back and it was just so fascinating listening to europeans and then also uh, uh islamic um, immigrants about this. And it was just, just so fascinating to hear their take on American politics. I mean, we, you, you really have to try to, in America, to be engaged in European politics, but not for them. They, they, they know what's going on. Um, they certainly are more global than we are. And it was just so fascinating to, to hear their take on those things. And, uh, that's where you really get into the culture, and that's what I mean. You got to travel to really get into into their culture, into their way of thinking, and just even overhearing conversations. Yeah. Um, that if you're in in English speaking country like you know Ireland, Scotland, or 
or any part of the United Kingdom. Uh, just so fascinating uh, to hear their take on things. Um, uh, just uh, what was really fascinating is that every European, white European, was pro gore, and the reason they gave was gun control. Which is big over there, although <laughs> the, my landlord, when I lived in the Netherlands, wanted to know two things. So we finally got invited over for dinner at their house, which is like a big deal for the Dutch because you don't become friends easy. And, and the two things he just grilled me about was, do you own a gun and how big is your car's engine? <laughs> he just could not wrap his head around, yeah. yes, I have a shotgun and I have a truck with a V8. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's, I th- sent a picture later of me and the kids in the back with me with my th- gun. Those, like, are, those are some of the things that, you know, you, I, I came back thinking we're a car culture. We're a car culture. Um, and, and that really does change the way we look at a lot of different things you know um oil and and public transportation all those things uh, but i just to finish that point that uh the islamic people that i met and would talk to they were all pro-bush which is so ironic now uh you know 18 years later um and and the reason some of them gave was that Joe Lieberman, who was the under, you know, the, the vice president candidate under Al Gore, was Jewish, and they were not afraid to say that. And just so fascinating to to think about that that George H. W. Bush wasn't such a bad guy because they didn't really like Saddam Hussein, and but he didn't destroy things, you know, didn't blow it all up, um, but but was was strong against Saddam Hussein. But I think uh, after. Uh, you know, Bush the the second, things obviously have changed, but just such mm-hmm. a such a fascinating way of looking at politics. I I have to say that my my third time to uh, Europe, um, probably the most memorable uh, thing was when I lost my passport. <laughs> so um, you know that that's a whole other that is a bad story. That's a bad situation. Also, Oktoberfest the first time I went was a bad situation. Um, you can email me about that if you really want to know the story about that. But, uh, I've, uh, I've come home each time that I've, that I have, uh, gone to Europe, but, uh, it was shaky a couple of the two or the four times, (laughs) um, but I made it, it was fantastic. And it, it really is safe, by the way, it really is safe. Um, I, I remember, um, someone saying oh how could you go to europe it's so dangerous and stuff like that i'm like you you're probably more in danger in waukesha wisconsin than you are in most major I cities waukesha, yeah. uh, pastor uh, hackers <laughs> told me that waukesha is a very dangerous yeah, place absolutely so it, it, it really is a friendly place and if you're not if you're not texan or from brooklyn people will like you you well, just don't be loud and i think uh us living in the netherlands an interesting experience was we were, we probably were in a majority non-Dutch neighborhood, heavily Eastern European and heavily Turkish. Um, and my kids just loved the Turkish baker down the street because he thought it was great. We had a big family. And I would go in and order, you know, like one thing, like Turkish pizza, whatever. And um, he would just send them home just loaded with stuff. But anyone younger than 40 in the Netherlands who saw Trisha and I with five kids thought we were just raping the world and we were, you know, ecological terrorists. So what I found was the people who appreciated us most were Dutch grandparents who would come up and say, 
I wish my kids would have kids. It's mm-hmm. so great. You have a nice young family. And, you know, they would all pinch the kids' cheeks, which is terrifying to your kids when they're saying, like, because <laughs> Dutch is so guttural. Like, they're... But then otherwise, we had, I think at the time, the first or second biggest mosque in Europe was when I would ride, and I, it was so great not to drive all there, but when I would ride my bike to Erasmus um, from our apartment, which was on the other side of the city, because it was not easy to get a lease on an apartment for seven, I mean, we had a two-bedroom apartment, but um, but what I, the, the, the Turkish families were so positive and kind about our family and our kids. Um, you know, they would dote on them. It was just, even in our apartment building, those who had big families, it was just such, I think, to them, like an anomaly to see this big, and they don't know until we speak, you know, where we're from. But, uh, you know, this pro, uh, not even pro family, but large family, whatever else, that this is a, a good, nice thing. But I remember the one time I took the boys to get their hair cut, and then Trisha was going to meet me, and so I think I... Uh, I rode my bike down and the boys would ride on the rack on the back. And then Trisha took the uh, um, the bus down to meet us. So I was there with the boys and, you know, if you have kids in the cars, uh, this is not bad, but earmuffs. But um, the lady cutting, like, Nicholas's hair or whatever is like, when Trisha showed up with three more kids is like, you know there is birth control, right? <laughs> and the Dutch are, like, very forthright. Like, they'll... You're not their friend easy, but at any point, like, they think they should be able to share their opinion. And I learned this enough at that point that I was like, really, how does that work? Like, where do you put it? Like, <laughs> and this woman was getting so embarrassed, like, to try to, like, describe this in front of my kids. But but it was, to me, interesting because I do think I would benefit more if our culture had where I could just be frank with people. But at the same time, it also exposed, you know, what you really value. Like, I... I have five kids that I think I take care of. I'm not, not supporting. And, uh, yeah, but it, uh, I mean, I loved Rotterdam for, to me, it was very Detroit-ish. Even, I mean, Detroit has just a, a very diverse population, but, um, working class, all that. But I, I really enjoyed that we went over and a lot of the people who really took to us as a family in the neighborhood, we're not native Dutch as it was too. I, I mean, even just, and I'll stop with this, but we were, Maggie was pitching in the, in the park the one day and they've got parks everywhere. I mean, amazing parks. And, uh, so she's pitching to the boys and there was this kid, his name, I still remember his name was Bida. And he was, he, I can't remember anymore if it was, it was either Turkey or Morocco that he was from. But, uh, but he's watching that her pitch and them catch it. And so he, he comes over and he's, he's just speaking Dutch. I can't, Dutch is like, they created Dutch to be able to rip off the Germans and the English. Like it's just in between. So, but he asked, you know, I finally figured out he's asking, can I play? And I told Ziggy or Nick or whatever, give him your glove. But I said, clearly like, do not throw at his face. (laughs) Like this will be a scene in the park if you blow up this kid's face. And to watch him try to catch the ball it was just the weirdest thing ever. And like a little crowd is like developing, like what are they doing? (laughs) Like, what is this thing that is happening? But it was all very, uh, it, it just, yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, there's always danger. Um, yes, there's probably more like prominent, like in prominent places you hear news of stuff. Petty crime. 
But, you know, hey, either of you two is welcome to walk down my alley at 2 a.m. and, uh, you know, see what happens, you know. And nothing probably will happen. But the odds are probably about similar. But, yeah. yeah another thing to think about Europe that's maybe a cliche or is that nobody goes to church. I Certainly it's not as religious on Sunday morning as it is in America. But we've talked about this before, that America is really religious but knows nothing about religion. Uh-huh. Like even their own religion, let alone the other religions, where <clears throat> Europeans do have a pretty decent, well, I don't know if a decent handle on theology, but a certain decent handle on different religions and the historical significance of that. But they're, they're, the last time I was in, in uh, Strasbourg, we, I went to, on Sunday morning, I decided I want to go to, and I met a Chinese guy who um, said he was an atheist, but kind of, he wanted to hang out with us. Uh, me and, and my brother had come to visit me while I was in school. And so, I'm like, I, I really want to go to the Strasbourg Cathedral, which at one point was Lutheran. It was handed over back to the Roman Catholic Church. Strasbourg, Strasbourg has, has a long history of being yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. yeah, back and forth. You know, whoever won the last war kind of thing. Um, you know, if it's German or, Fran- or French or, and, and then uh, it, it was Lutheran for a while. And then what the cathedral is given I mean, back Butzer to the Roman. Is, yeah. I mean, that's Strasbourg. This was a, a very important center. Fascin- fascinating place. And um, I wanted to go there. I wanted to see a church service and cathedral. And, and I, I wouldn't say it was packed. But there was there was a lot of people there, and uh, they were young. It was young people and appreciating the art. And uh, um, I don't know French. Um, I could sort of see. And God bless you. Yeah, yeah. sort of see the the liturgy happening there. Um, you know, so I don't know how the the, the homily was, but um, the the liturgy has that gospel there, and it's being proclaimed and. The, the the death of Christianity in Europe has been overplayed. And uh, uh, speaking of your Turkish families, first of all, every every town, I don't care if it's got 100 people, has a Turkish family that's selling what we call euros, what they call Daner kebabs. And Which is, no, Daner's the best, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Cheap food, and, and I would n- never have survived Europe without it. But there are a lot of Turkish families and from other places like Morocco, where um, these Islamic people coming, immigrants coming from Islamic-dominated countries that are seek, literally seeking out the gospel, specifically in Lutheran churches. And, Uwe and we've seen this in Germany, with, uh, especially in Berlin, with, uh, yeah. what is it, the Selk Church there, yeah. that is with the Iranians. And, yeah. and Uwe Semineto has, has written uh, at least one, if not two, articles on that. And uh, uh, search that, you'll find it. Um, just fascinating, heartwarming, fantastic stories about Christianity's <coughs> resurgence, if we could call it that, in Europe uh, via um, Islamic immigrants. Well, and I think, too, and John, I'm going to throw it to you in a second here so you can think about when we went to Mass and Zagreb, but I think a thing interesting about this is where Christianity is dying in Europe is in Protestant areas faster than in Catholic areas. And we have a classmate who I won't name, at least a classmate who started with us, who studied in Germany and was talking to a Catholic woman once and was kind of bemoaning that the Evangelische, you know, the the, even, the the Protestants weren't going to church in the same numbers as the Catholics. And she joked, well, for centuries you told them they didn't have to, and we told them they did. 
Um, but I do think there is something to the rootedness of the faith. A, there's some, there are nationalistic, you know, connotations in Croatia that clearly plays in in the wars in the nineties. But, um, I'll let you chime in, John. My experience in Bailey and when we wandered into that cathedral in Zagreb in the middle of mass, um, I don't know your take. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking our time in Zagreb when we went to the you know the Lutheran church there, and that Which was, was also just an awesome experience. It yeah. was an awesome experience, and uh, it was very clearly it was the common service, right? It was right. Western, right? And, and a church that, by the way, it just couldn't win after the World Wars because it had been a German church, and then the Germans are expelled, and then they lose their property. They get it back in the '90s with the uh, with the end of you know Yugoslavia. Um, but it was one of those where, and you can correct me, you listen to the pastor, you just go, this dude's putting up with a lot more than I have to. Yeah, right, talking to that pastor afterwards, obviously we stuck out like a sore thumb there, you know, the 20 folks or so that gathered, and, you know, singing, they were singing I Am Jesus, Little Lamb in Croatian. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, but just to listen to what uh, what he goes through day in and day out in his parish uh, for the sake of the gospel, and I have no clue what he preached on that day, um, but... Uh, very clearly with the service being what it was. And, and I think, too, that makes me appreciate my parish um, all the more that in this day and age that anyone would come um, to hear what the Lord has to say through his servant to be fed by the gospel. Um, experiences like that really drive it home. So, And then, I mean, if you remember in Zagreb when we went into that cathedral church, I've never seen a mass like that before. I mean, just packed. I mean... Not much room to move, but also just the way they were doing communion. I'm used, I grew up Catholic with continuous flow up to the front. But if you remember, like down the whole middle of this huge cathedral, it was kind of the what we would are familiar with the Lutheran way of standing or kneeling down the middle mm-hmm. and uh, kind of orthodox elements of coming and going. But uh, that was one of the more vibrant services. I mean, if someone were to tell me, oh, Christianity's dead in Europe, and I had gone to that. Yeah, that, that place does, was just the center of town. And that was that a Sunday afternoon or I mean it was not I don't a, even think it, it was a Sunday. It was not a Sunday morning to be sure and so yeah, that really jumped out at us. Maybe it was the festival of, you know, whatever, but I, <laughs> I just remember us drinking wine the one day and and uh and I don't normally drink wine, but one of the Germans with us said, uh, oh this is really good, what's in it? And you remember the the guy from Croatia said, Sarah Blood <laughs> <laughs> But or we're going long on the free for all, Mike. Make no, us make I, sense. I, I think that, you know, especially if you, you do go to Europe, what really really stands out is <laughs> is the uh, the centrality of the cathedral or the church, even if it may be at times and in certain places hollow. Um, it's the center of the town. You and know? God in his wisdom saw that even in the destructiveness of the 20th century, that most of the people at war would not bomb cathedrals. Yeah, it's just it's just so fantastic. And in, in in my small town where I served in in Wood Lake, I we 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 weren't the center of town, but um, you know it was a prominent building. And I always wanted to to move it to the center of town, you know, and put shops around it and stuff. Uh, Strasburg's like that, you know. You have all this other stuff going on. In Strasburg. Rebuild or actually move the building? Well, I'd love to do both, but um, 
Well, how could you do both? I don't understand. Yeah, that seems like a huge, <laughs> you know, like, either way, campaign. either way, kind of thing. I I did joke like, okay, so if a tornado comes and blows this up, you know, we we will uh, we will rebuild and and really do it well. But um, you know, in Strasbourg, that you know, have so much going on in that town politically, but also uh, you know, economically, and and where do people hang out? right in front of the cathedral, you know, and, and there's a, there's a sermon in stone there and people go in there to hear concerts and stuff like that. And, and, and the gospel works, the spirit still works. And, uh, it, it's just a different, different way of, of organizing in a physical way, a town, right? Where the center is, uh, the cathedral or the church. And if you're listening to the Winging It series, probably not possible without the medieval synthesis yeah and it, it's just it's just such a fantastic it's and it's ripe for the opportunity of for a uh, 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 a chance for the christian church to make hay in this 21st century uh just because of the physical placement of these churches and 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 it's such a there's such grand churches, you know, you, you, you're drawn to that. And it's such a great opportunity that where our suburban churches that are more concerned about signage and are we close to a freeway and stuff like that, it, we, we've lost that a little bit. Well, and I think this is instructive for America because, I mean, just even in Milwaukee, we've seen, I mean, you can't drive through downtown and not see the skyline. I think one of the faults of the church sometimes when it comes to these settings is, A, we, we abandon it. We're gonna, everybody's moving out. Our people are moving out. We're going to go to this place. Just put a preacher in that church. And I don't mean, I mean, I do mean any called worker is a preacher. But I mean, put your preacher, you find not the most enigmatic, you know, I've got gel in my hair because I still have hair and I have whatever. Put a preacher in that church God has built you an auditorium to last. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's really something. Every time I go to a city in Europe, I'll go to the Altstadt first. And just, I mean, it's, it's like history is calling out. Just put a preacher here. Put someone who's going to give the gospel, and then we'll work out. We'll work, you know, what do you call that in a, like, solar system? Orbit? Yeah, we'll we'll work out from that orbit. Yeah, and I, I, you when you think about the bigger cities of of Europe, you see that too. Where in America, it's like and it's changing now, but uh, the city center is okay. Business, and then there's slums, and then the rich people live out in the ring around things. Where, especially in Paris, it is the opposite. Right. Exactly. Right? It's the opposite, and and really have have preserved their history and, and so a part of that history Paris is Christianity that be putting the churches in the suburbs right. and it's us who should be right you know yeah. <clears throat> right and and it, it's a crying shame of course but uh, uh, just you know it, again another reason why you should go travel wherever it's going to be it doesn't have to be Europe go go travel Disney somewhere World, Paris. Disney World well maybe not but go somewhere and and talk to people eat their food 
um, see what they what they think about American politics, see hear what they have to say about religion, and it will open your eyes and it will make you a better person. You'll think clearer, um, and you I think you'll be invigorated, especially those you know young seminarians that maybe are listening right now. Go 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 and uh, go see a different culture, and uh, you'll learn lessons that will. Uh, last you a lifetime even if you are in suburbia america the rest of your life those lessons will last a lifetime i think that's do you, do you think, think my kids could travel with your kids since you love them enough to set some money aside for them you think it's not enough money to pay for your kids but it's i feel enough. like my kids could go too yeah. what if borderlands and johnson's paid airfare they could go to keep and then your you kids paid safe. Safe. i, I kind of think that the borderland johnston berg cohort maybe we should just break it up so that we, we've survived to be fair among we survived this generation i don't know that <laughs> we should do that to the next among generation your portion of the cohort there's no boys yes that's right so like security and uh whatever else would fall to i will boys. send i will send my girls to europe with ziggy nicholas i'm not so sure <laughs> that's wise judgment <laughs> to be fair uh i think nicholas would be the wisest as far as like navigating stuff but yeah it uh, well, we went really long on this food for all, but that's good because we might not have much for the name to- main topic. So right. uh, we'll move to the main topic, which I think is going to be quite similar, actually, when we think probably, about it. Probably, yeah. All right, we'll be back in a second. back for our main topic which is going to be kind of similar to our free-for-all we're going to talk about our experiences not now uh, in our travels in europe but but being pastors so uh, we're all 40 and have over a decade in the parish um, Wade a couple years a few years in uh, college me one year under my belt in college but the topic's going to be this uh as we look back on a decade and a half or so of being pastors slash professors, um, what are the things that we wish we would have paid more attention to? Uh, things that we wish we would have done. And maybe also things, I'm really grateful that I took that advice from a wise pastor and did. Or something maybe from our own experience that, you know, I, I decided to do this and it was a good thing. And I think it'll be helpful and an interesting conversation. So um, I'll maybe start off just a little bit on something negative that I thought I, 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 I should have done more of very early on. Um, and, and Pray. Pray, uh, uh, you know, and not just the the. I was just joking. You have to go out. Not not just the things that are probably we all did. Like, yeah, we should pray more. Yeah, we should have done better text studies. Yeah, we should have been better this that and the other thing. But something maybe a little bit more unique, because I think every pastor at 35, 40, 45, 50 is going to say, should have been in the Greek more. Should have been in the Hebrew more. Should have done this more. Should have done that. I, something more unique. I've Unless said that, he is climbing the ranks. I don't think that's our, I don't think that's our listeners. Um, I would say that 
and I've said this before, so I am repeating myself, but um, when I got into a rut, when it came to sermons, it was it was not just because I didn't do a good text study. It was because I, I hadn't read widely enough. And so I think I would have paid more attention to the great classics of English literature, but also like, well, we talked about Russian literature quite a bit too. Um, I, I think I would have been a better preacher, a better communicator, a better teacher, a better pastor if I had would have read more of the classic novels that were out there. Uh, the other thing that was a big hole in my knowledge was philosophy and apologetics, and I decided to go back to school for that. That that, that was a gap in my knowledge that I I realized was 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 bad. It was really really bad. I I, I thought. Man, I, you know, you read Luther and he says, well, Aristotle says this or Plato or whatever. And, and you realize that he was more at home with the, the Greek philosophers than I was. And, and to understand Lutheran theology, to understand Western civilization, I needed to be better at that. And so I, I, that, that was a place where I did say, okay, I got to do something. But um, I wish I would have taken more time on, on novels. So, John... What do you think? Yeah, I'll go with, uh, one of you mentioned it, uh, a piece of advice given to me way early in the ministry. And I can't honestly remember who it was that said it, but it was... It was me. It, it wasn't you, Mike. It was, if you're ever faced with the decision, should you go or shouldn't you go, you should go and you won't regret it. I can't tell you how many times in the ministry, you know, it's uh, whether it is the emergency call or this person just needs to be seen and you have countless busy work to do. And when, when the opportunity arises, I can honestly say I've never regretted going. Um, and then you come away from it and, and the people you serve are profoundly thankful, but you, you're the one apologizing all over yourself because you, you wish you had more to bring. Um, but you know that what you did bring is what they needed, and you walk away from that uh, the richer for it. And and then the times where you didn't go and you didn't listen to that advice, and uh, and you kicked yourself for it. So yeah, I, I mean think that's that, I mean if you, if if and that hangs on your conscience when if, you find if out you, later. Yeah. If you if we three would say you know would have uh, the audience of a, a senior class of uh, seminary students, which we never will have, but is to say regularly visit your shut-ins that is like you do not that that is something you do not skip you do not say i don't have time this month or you don't say i don't have time for that hospital visit well and, that, yeah, that, and that, I think that is not just, just shut-ins, but hospitals delinquents i mean that that um, is just I mean, you, you just don't do that and not only for the sake of their soul but also, um, to be selfish, um, that gets around that you care. That and gets around to your members and to your non-members in the community. And how thankful, and I can't make, I probably could speak for you guys, probably all the places where we started serving our parishes, you know, on call day, it was probably not where you thought, oh, this is where I'm going to wind up. But the Lord uh, <laughs> blessed us all 
um, to serve in places, I'd say with manageable size parishes where you actually could spend time with people and the sort of people where, um, you know, you just open your ears and, you know, when you, when you finally could get over yourself and shut your yeah. mouth and open your ears and listen to them and how the yeah. Lord served well, us I think, through I those. I think Christ, when I got there, was maybe 375, 400. And uh, I don't know. We what. were all about the same, a mid-sized church where yeah. you're busy. I mean, it's not like you have one shut-in. I mean, you have a dozen at least at any given time, if not 20. And so it was surveillance video on them though. And and like they went to Meyer, I just took them off the list. It was, was, yeah, that, that's a frustrating thing for another topic for another day. But, um, yeah, when you, when you're shut in drives by the house and waves to you. Um, but, uh, how do they know you? It was the pastor's house. (laughs) Um, the, it was not. Did your neighbor notice yeah, when they waved at your neighbor? It was not a mission church where it was young and you didn't, you didn't even have. That, that was my vicar experience. We didn't have any shut-ins, um, but it, it was a burden. It was a burden. It was a time-consuming burden. But and there were many days, especially as I I, I grew. I, I was very gung ho at the beginning and loved it. It was one of the best things I ever did. And and it got, it got a little burdensome. I I have to admit, but it was something that was non-negotiable and I'm glad it was non-negotiable because it made me a better pastor. And what, what the, what are you doing if you're not, if you're not serving the people that are that close to death? And, and one of the great experiences I had as a vicar is down in, in Houston. And so pretty much Bible belt, um, and some of the people, very few shut-ins that we had visited, or very few people that were in the hospital. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was a weird thing. They would Texans say, "Don't get sick." Yeah. Well, we, it was a young congregation, but uh, people would say only Catholics and Lutherans come to nursing homes. And part of the reason there was, uh, you know, once saved, always saved. You know, you you're not going to use your manpower on those who are going to be in heaven anyway right and and it was such a such a striking thing to me that i, I had heard local lutheran pastors say that and and that stuck with me it, it it's just such a such a you can't say it enough to young seminarians you think you're going to turn the world upside down and you're going to just outgrow this church or whatever and and uh, uh shut-ins are an afterthought no 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 the exact opposite the exact opposite. It, it will get to those younger generations. They will get to the community that you care. It's it's such a such a huge deal. Mike, I want my joke earlier to make sense. So, okay, you ahead. referenced your shut-ins waving when they drove by, um, and I mentioned about your neighbor waving. Could you please tell oh, a joke about okay. your neighbor sure. and him not waving back? Sure. So, so that our listeners so understand. I'm a big city kid. Uh, was sent to a very small town, 430 people. Fish out of water for sure. And uh, turned out to be the best thing for me, and 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 it, I'm still trying to figure out how to drive in a big city again. Uh, it's not like uh, riding a bike; <laughs> you lose that. You got to gain that again. Um, anyway, um, and so uh, it was. I was told like you got to wave to everybody. So in the South and in rural Midwest, when you're driving and you pass somebody on the road, you lift your hand up. And if you don't... And this is a thing that caught me totally by surprise when I went to MLC, but it really is a thing, yeah. It very much is a thing. So, you wave to everybody, 
pastors in the past didn't get that, and then they were labeled as snobby. So I'm going to wave to everybody. So I'm waving to everybody. And this guy across the street who hangs out in his front porch, um, I waved to him. He didn't wave back. But darned if I'm going to be the guy who doesn't wave. So I'm waving, and I'm waving, and I'm waving every time I pass. And he's out there all day long. doesn't have a job. I'm waving. He doesn't wave back. doesn't matter. I'm going to wave. I found out later someone told me, well, he's blind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so now then I would yell across the street, you know, and, uh, and he was a great guy and, uh, uh, did pass away, but, um, wonderful man. Um, and, uh, did find him wandering in my backyard once and had to move him back to the, to the right place. But he was actually pretty adept at, uh, at, uh, figuring out our small town, even though he was blind. I will say John, and, and maybe you can jump in and correct me on this, but one of the things, one of the best things I did and maybe not best because my pastor might have issues with me with club ball in the summer now, but one of the things I think that hopefully coming out we can do better at is that we have a a nice worker training system. Um, You get eight years of quality education, but you're around people who agree with you, who share your views, and your take on the world is largely formed by the media that you choose to let that come to you or your parents or whatever the case may be. And so one of the things I will say in Michigan and here that's been great for me, in addition to grad school, I would say it, it, I would say sports and grad school have been the two big things, is for me to um, spend a lot of time, get to know, become friends with people who do not share either my denominational denominational affiliation or general convictions, or whatever the case might be, um, I have found as a preacher, as a teacher, I serve both my people better and those people better by uh, by not. And and I think this plays. And I'll and you can rebuke me if you want, John. You get to where there's a lot of Lutherans in one place, and it becomes a competition for the Lutherans, rather than um, let's reach the people in the area. And that's a very different approach to have those two things. If it's a competition for the Lutherans, now you're going to speak the lingo, you're going to ask the family names, you're going to whatever. If you find yourself somewhat immersed, which I think you have also with, you know, kids in multiple sports, whatever the case may be, I find that, end of the day, my families playing the lingo are not that different from the families not in line with me. And... uh I think I wish I would have spent more time, and I don't know where you do this. I mean, you can't just sit at the zoo or whatever the case might be, but um, talking to people that are not in your parish. Amen. And put in, and I will say too, and you guys, putting, sometimes even putting your collar on and doing it. But I'll, I'll defer to John first. Mike, you talk maybe, a lot. Maybe you, you talk just a lot. let me interject uh, one thing and then I'll uh, be quiet. Uh, Listen, uh. that is not something that you you come out of seminary saying, okay, I'm going to do that. That takes, that takes being in the community and being quiet and listening. You don't, you don't have the language yet. You just simply as a 25 year old, you don't have the language yet. And no matter where, even if you're going to your hometown, you don't know. And I'm sorry for giving you a hard time. That's a good point. I mean, you got to, you got to learn the people. You got, you, you have, you, 
it's not something that that you can learn in a textbook. You have to literally. It's going to take a couple years. That John, lesson now was, we put you. Yeah, that lesson was uh, put on me. Uh, as you guys know, I love to work out. You guys can tell that. So, no, I mean, I wound up at uh, the local town YMCA when I was in Nebraska, and in the early afternoon hours, it was uh, the Roman priest and the funeral director and me working out in there and so that just turned into some great conversations some great jokes too and when the when the attorney walked in then you know it was fun to listen to the how those jokes went too it was just great um which then led me to say you know what um these ball games in this little town that i'm going to i know why i wasn't coaching that ball team and then i wound up coaching that ball team and then that just opens up a whole nother world of people to talk to and i would say now you know, spending time with your members, of course, but spending time with real people outside of your parish, some of them outside of the faith. And sometimes uh, that happens by spending time with your members. Correct. Yeah. Right. Does this not does this not make you a better preacher? You know, uh, and does this not actually open your eyes uh, to the needs of, of those around you in a way that that you just can't get? Um, and what you said, this is not something you, you force yourself into, but it's by being who you are, uh, wearing not just your pastor hat, but the other uh, places the Lord has put you well, to serve. So credit, you guys, John, by the way, I'm still talking, and you both, you both like were sitting back, and then you both get your mouth really close to the microphone, like you just can't wait. Well, so I just wa- I'm just going to keep talking I just here and see give, what no, happens. I want to give you credit, John. We had uh, one of the the fun things with with baseball, softball is a. Uh, a lot of people don't know I'm a pastor. I mean, they get I'm a professor or whatever the case may be. And so they're always somewhat spooked when they find out I'm a pastor. And I think it usually that's like an intro to a great conversation. But I think the first time I've been around when it's happened with you was, um, you know, a, someone who I really respect and a great conversation but just not getting like the dynamics of he was talking to two pastors. I think like one pastor limit was probably like his human experience. And it's, I think, it's great when they swear and you're like, and then they find out you're a pastor and they apologize uh, and you're like, it's okay, I'm Lutheran. Yeah, and it wasn't even like out of line, but to have it be like a two pastor conversation, but to have it be um, where I think the experience was, Here's two guys who I didn't know they were pastors because they were listening. And then also at the same time, like once I knew they were pastors, the relationship hasn't changed. And and you see how people uh, seek that out. I would joke, you know, if I went to pick up the mail uh, in Plymouth, uh, in Plymouth, Nebraska, sorry, town of 406, um, I knew that could be an hour. And that's not just members talking to you. And and how many of the folks in town sought you out? You would never be their pastor for various reasons. And but they probably you, knew but when you, you picked up their were mail, their huh? pastor. Yeah. yeah, you were their pastor. Uh, and they would talk to you about things they wouldn't talk to their own pastor about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you build a relationship and then they find out that you're a pastor and then they go, oh, maybe they are actually relatable and they actually do have families and they don't, you know, they, they, there's an impression upon ministry from people outside of the church that's false. And you break down that barrier just by being normal. Um, I remember this time that, uh, in Woodlake, in Woodlake, my family was gone and, uh, I had some writing to do for, for school. And so I just, 
opened up a beer and started writing. Started writing, 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 writing. And all of a sudden, it was like 10.30, and I needed a break, and it was graduation time. And I had already made the rounds to the graduation. Hi, you know, gave the gift and whatever, and got back to my work because I'm so important, right? And then I needed a break, and I knew down the block that this party By was By the way, I think that, you know, that idea, I think it's dying off, but that we're like the institutional represent we're like we're the god stamp on the graduation party <laughs> like i think that's served well by right. if you go and you're just a person but go ahead you gotta you gotta go to these things you gotta go and and just say i'm not gonna work and uh, not play the role though too don't go there and be you know hair pastor or right. whatever you know you're you it's it's memorial day weekend and you got a bunch of graduation saturday write your sermon thursday and then just go to all these things on Saturday. So it was I, it was a Sunday night, and I knew this party was going on still, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go over there and, and just show up. You know, I had already been there at like 4 in the afternoon <laughs> at their barbecue, and so I came back, and the, and the party was still going, and there was a campfire around, and so I just showed up. And, and if the pastor shows up in this small town, where people have been drinking since whenever, I mean, you, you're automatically the center of attention, right? And so I sit down, grab a beer around the campfire, and there was probably four or five non people that were non-church, probably brought up in the church, but weren't going anywhere. And they were like, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. I, it was a relaxed atmosphere where it was not institutional. Um, everything was laid back and probably did more evangelism that night around a campfire than I did the previous 18 months, right? And it was just because, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with my friends. You know, I need a break from my work, and I'm going to go have a beer with my friends. And I was a part of the community. I was a part of their lives. I was a part of the culture. And that broke down the barriers, and you can't force that. You just, you, you, can, you can put your... You can put your church in a parade and you can have the booth all you want. But Give out candy. You can do all that stuff. Make a and video. And flyers and mailers and stuff like that. But nothing beats just actually being a part of your members' lives, which will then connect you to the lives of their friends and their relatives that are hurting. And, and you got to be adept when someone comes up and says, okay, what about this question that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the gospel, you got to be adept enough to bring it back to the gospel. And that's where real ministry is going to happen and real evangelism, I think, in, in our world. Yeah, I mean, that, right, just what you said there at the end, that, that's part of being ready always to give the reason. And, you you know, that doesn't always come, and it doesn't come in the textbook, and it doesn't come in the way you thought it was going to come. And you said being involved uh, in the lives of your members, you know, um, just weddings and funerals in the parish and uh the you know the luncheon afterwards and there's countless other things to do no you're at, you're there and there's people there there's people who want to talk to you for a reason and you never know where that you'll run into somebody at pick and save then the next i you know and endless opportunities yeah and it's not you don't have to go glad hand everybody you just sit down and talk to people and even if you only talk to somebody, you're only, only talking to one group of people for an hour and a half. Um, that that's okay. 
that's okay. You don't have to go around being a politician, shaking everybody's hand and kissing the babies. Just go in and just be normal. Just be normal, and it will pay dividends. Have a, I, I would say to both of you, but especially to John maybe, because John, I think, has had the two most different contexts of any of us as far as parish because you have had, Mike, one context in parish, and I've had one, and he's had two. But... Um, What, uh, I guess, John, as you relate to your people, what do you find to be, when we came out, I guess to me, I viewed my relationship with my people as I'm going to keep them in Jesus and this is, um, they come and I fix something, whatever the case may be. As far as parish ministry, you have... Um, how do I, I'm trying to put this well. How do you serve your people as your people and not as, um, I don't want to say as members, but not as idealized versions of your people? If uh, and, and this is one of the things that, so I had last year, I was coaching baseball, and I was on first base filling in for the first base coach. And I was on my phone, someone texted me about something from the college. And I get a text from John that one of his members was there, and the ump yelled at me about text or something on my phone right there's just these connections Mm -hmm. so how do you balance that because i mean mike and i have been in our own context and i think i got by with a lot because i just knew my people well but um how do you balance getting to know your people being that you know available but also recognizing uh that they're people they're not I'm getting as members as kind of like a uh, idealized, like my member will behave like this and behave like that. My member will think this and not think that because I do think there's a a vulnerability when pastors make themselves available that sometimes members are going to say stuff where you go, well, that's not right. And at the same time, you're going to go, this is not the time to say it. I always think of, you know, people dying and someone says, oh, they became an angel now. And I could have been like, no, angels, you know, how do oh, you, you don't say, you don't say that at that time. Right. What's, yeah. the, what's the balance in there? Maybe. I think, I think, uh, one of the things, and if I've, if anyone's navigated this perfectly, uh, they can be the first to stand up. So I won't claim that, but right. When you grow into seeing your people as real people and as you're interact with them, the, you're not trying to get them to achieve something. You're not trying to, um, you're not dealing with them with some kind of end goal, but you really take interest in them, who they are and where they're at at that moment um, and serve them in that way. I don't know if I'm getting at what Wade was asking, but when you, you, you don't go in with some idealistic, I'm going to go talk to this person. This is how this conversation is going to go. Right. I think a lot of it's just, you're just being normal, right? You're having a conversation and, uh, Wade kind of alluded this to the, the collar actually doesn't hurt this as actually helps it, right? Some people have like, well, the collar, nobody can, will then approach you because you know, it's going to be a religious conversation. Uh, complete opposite, right? Uh, they, uh, the barriers are broken down where, uh, they, they see you somebody as, uh, somebody they can bounce stuff off of and, uh, somebody that is going to not, uh, not talk about them behind their back uh it's not it's not somebody that they have to impress 
right? You know, the the guy in the Armani Armani sh- suit or um, who's dressed like a super hip hipster or something right. like that. It, it, you're you're approachable. You're normal. You're fine. Talk, just talk to me, you know. And um, I th- I think all three of us have found that as a situation being in being in the community. Go coach the local t-ball team or go be at the whatever yeah just do something just be visible and 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 literally watch people come to you it's amazing it really is amazing you brought up the collar and i said i've said this in numerous settings and contexts if if in any way i thought that that was a hindrance to talking to people i'd be the first guy to ditch it and it the reason i find myself wearing it more and more i mean because of the opportunities that just continue to come up um, opportunities to talk to real people about real things and uh, and then you pray that that's not the only conversation you get to have with them right that's part of being a pastor too and we've talked about that here all guys who who left places that we loved right. um, called to serve somewhere else uh, a benefit of a long pastorate. Uh, one of the benefits of a long pastorate is you recognize that's your own, not your only shot with people, right? Yeah. I mean, well, we, we kind of got off the of topic a little bit, um, but that's so. okay. Stuff you know, like stuff we would do, we would do different. Um, uh, maybe, maybe John and Wade, you maybe something a little bit different, like what, what something that you would have said, man, I wish I would have done that earlier. I would not have made little battles of big battles. I think that was one of the things of coming out of seminary, and it's not a knock on any seminary, and I think every seminary is the same way, of you really idealize your future parish. I mean, you you take your classes and you go, okay, this is how we do this, and then you do your field experience and you go, when I'm out, I'm going to do this this way, and then you idealize your parish. I would say that would be the biggest thing for me would be... Um, to see, to let, to let the parish teach me to say, I'm, you know, this is not an academic thing. I guess this is two prong. This is not an academic thing, and this is not a uh, theoretical thing. But then I guess on the flip flip side to say, I'm now going to be academic about academic things because I think that's the other side of it, is when I found myself in situations that I was tempted to try to be too pure about. And, and, and I think this is one of the things of you come out and you learn in some like, well, our parishes don't do this or that. And then you come out and like, oh, I got a lodge member or I got, you know, God knows what, you know, what, what the case might be. But I think to avoid this like desire for like, now I have to protect the purity of this parish. Um, in a way that really is trying to like keep respect with your boys, if that makes sense. But I think on the flip side of thinking, now I've come out and I'm prepared to handle everything and to not be doing the work, to be able to really be the the person that people are coming to with huge life questions, I think we owe it to people. I, I just think it took me about four or five years before I realized, now I should start studying. Now I should start studying. Now I should start like digging into stuff I wasn't before. So I would say that would be the two sides: thinking I know too much, and then realizing I, I don't know enough. Yeah, or or like your people, you come out and you, you like realize, oh, your people really don't care about the uh, iconoclastic controversy, right? Yeah, they, you know, I mean, you're you're ready to go, and they're or like, like, you're not worked up about yeah, the protesting conference, right? You're like, like yeah, uh, we, you know, I might my, my 
my son hasn't gone to church in 20 years and he's 40 years old and I don't know, you know, that, that, that you just got to sit and listen. You got to sit and listen. You got to give them the gospel. And, uh, you, you were, you were, you were ready to, you were guns ablazing, ready to talk about, like you said, the predestined. You know, or you got the member who's like, the member who's hardcore and close communion. And you say, God bless you. You're on the right side of this issue. But then you've got the other one who's like not hardcore, but he's not hardcore because his son fell away because of this and he just wants his son in heaven. Well, you've got angels on both sides of that. Yeah. I was going to go a different direction. You're talking about things that you wish you'd do better. And I remember saying to a, a vicar once, you know, there's weeks where I think I've done okay serving this flock. And I think there's been a couple weeks, uh, in the last however many years, where I've been an okay husband and father, but probably never in the same week. <laughs> um, and you just and you look back at you know the woulda, coulda, shouldas, right? And finally, only only in Jesus can you still stand here. But uh, the that it's not a sin to throw a ball around the backyard, and that's not an excuse not to go visit the delinquent and. Just and keep how, the elbow above the uh, shoulder and and how to how to balance and how to balance that and. And to try to find more, you know, you can pack your schedule as busy as you want and come off being the busiest man in the world. But that's not good for you. It's not good for your family, your flock. And just to have time to think or to laugh and, to, you know, whether that's with family or, or friends, whatever the case might be. I, so. I think that's maybe maybe a big thing for young seminarians coming out that, okay, I, I, I got to have this schedule. I got to have this, um, you know, this five-year plan or whatever. All great. However, life's just not that way. And to, to don't, don't skimp on time of where you just think, right? Where you just sit down and you read something and you think about it and, uh, and how it applies to everything, not just your family life, but also your parish life. I I think that, I think to be more, uh, to, to be more in, intentional about that, I think I, I think I would have been better off early on just saying, I'm going to read something for the sake of reading it, and I'm just going to think about it. And, uh, um, you know, if the if the the bulletin doesn't get done on time, the bulletin doesn't get on get done on time. At the same time, I, I always think about something like everybody is an accountant or an artist on that spectrum, you know. And, uh, you know, if you're an artist, a free thinker, a big thinker, Monday, get everything done, right? Do the bulletin, do your sermon text, heck, write your sermon right away. And then, and then start thinking and thinking and thinking, um, get, get that done first. So you, you can be more introspective about those things. Um, and if you are more of an accountant than an artist, um, get the stuff done and then literally force yourself to read something that has nothing to do with anything that is coming up in the next week. Well, I think one of the things in John, I'm going to go right back to, but you mentioned laughing or, or I think there's a big thing in there too of, I would say it took me three or four years into the parish before I laughed, cried, whatever with my members where I wasn't like, so concerned to be the guy who was removed in the rock, whatever the case might be, to where I was just legitimately happy when I went to a Swan Valley football game 
or a Hemlock football game or MLS, and I, I know I should always root for MLS, but and a kid just made a big play that I knew that was that was his high school play, and to be thrilled, or to to go where you know someone was dying, and to just want to cry as much as everyone else wanted to cry. Or to get the same kick out of the person. I mean, to do funerals sometimes where I could just laugh at the same stuff. You know, and I, you know, I think of some where, yes, they would cuss at the most inopportune time. But when they died, we would laugh about that. I mean, in a way that just grace was human, you know, beyond what many think. And I think that really resonates with me of, you know, to learn to um, just experience stuff with your people. I think it, it took a lot for me to be to where I was okay with. Here's, you know, at weddings, funerals, whatever, the size of the parish, if it's small enough, these are like very personal things and they're very personal for everyone involved. To be willing to be not sucked in to where I would do anything because I'm sucked in. But to be emotionally involved in it was, I mean, I, I mean, probably the hardest and best funeral I ever did was the last one I did in the parish. And the person who built most of the furnishings in the chancel. You know, and I'm looking at these chancels, I've taken a call. I'm looking at these furnishings, I mean, in the chancel, I've taken a call. And they're all built by someone who's now gone to heaven. And he was probably one of my most fun members, like, you know, as far as go visit and his wife would have to be like don't say that you know whatever else but um you were a part of their life and yeah, they and, and, they, and were, they were a part of and your that life was, that was just part of the parish now um i would say that won't come if you're only ever going on a visit to be the guy where they say the appropriate thing at the appropriate time you know the principal's office if that makes sense but mm-hmm. i'll let you guys go we're going long, but this is good. This conversation can come at a better time. Just coming back from uh, uh, a few weeks vacation, a few weeks back, and something I have stuck to, every vacation I read uh, The Hammer of God, um, and I read it uh, early in the every morning. Vocation you, every vacation you've ever had, you had to come back for a funeral, too. That's true. Um, there's a story to that one here, too, and it's great because I don't like touching worms. My wife likes to fish. so I, I take, won't either. Yeah. I take her out in the boat in the morning. She fishes. I read The Hammer of God. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and you come back and remember coming back to the office. That you read it out loud to her or just silently to yourself? Um, silently to okay. myself. Uh, I came back to the office to the two-week to-do list and no kidding, I've been sitting there for three minutes. I don't even think I turned the computer on yet and phone rings and a, and a member had just gone home to heaven. And then you go and you spend the day, not how you're in, intending to Sunday, and at the end, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of that family's life at that time and uh and so now three weeks removed from vacation and uh hammer of god seems so far away and just a reminder again this conversation tonight helpful uh what's important in the ministry is pe- people aren't efficient right taking care of people not efficient one at a time um but i don't want to speak for you guys i don't think either of you would have done your ministry either any other way um no, Thank I mean, for those they're opportunities. not machines, they're individuals. I think I remember the quote by, I think Robert Kolb said that he would say to his seminary students, like, if you knew what was coming your way, you'd all quit right now. 
but if you knew what was coming your way, you would be begging to be a part of this job. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a, such a exhilarating thing to give the gospel to somebody uh, at any stage in life. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of middle of the night things. There's a lot of frustrations, um, and, and, and you would never sign up for it. But when you knew the joys of the ministry, I mean, you're like, man, I can't believe they pay, pay me to do this. And I would say, so here's, I'm going to end with this, but if I were going to give my things I would do more of, I would say I would talk to people outside my parish more intentionally. I would talk to people inside my parish more intentionally. Would you be intentionally relevant when you talk to them? No, but just <laughs> I honestly to know where both were at because I think we fail on both of those fronts. I think we assume stuff about people outside our parish and I think we assume stuff about people inside our parish. And and this is so just hit be ready to hit stop Mike. But um like when people ask, like, what's our people's take on something? And you guys can feel free to correct me. Our people, whether it be as parish, district, or synod, don't have a take. And I think we are on both sides of people outside our walls have a take and people inside have a take. And I have buried many a 98-year-old who heard the gospel every Sunday for 98 years who I had to remind, Jesus died for them. And I have encountered many a, uh, you know, died in the wool, whatever is opposed to the gospel, who was not opposed to the gospel at all, but had just never heard it. Um, so I would say, get out and talk to people, your people and other people. I would say, uh, you've read all the approved books, read them again, but also read other stuff. Uh, and I would say, uh, I think this would be the biggest one, is if a soul in your care ever becomes abstract, or a uh, part of a point system, a number, then y- you really need to repent um, if there is ever a person where you're wavering what will people think if I serve this person or you are uh, um, this is just doctrine and not a soul I think that'd be the biggest thing for me going back would be it because uh, you I honestly, the older I get, the more I will be a soul on my deathbed. And both you guys will visit me, hopefully. And I'll tell both of you terrible we, things. We both will um, outlive you. So we will visit you. But you know what I mean? It just, I think that's the biggest thing. The older I get would be people are not an abstraction. An addict is not an addict. A uh, member is not a member. A uh, prospect's not a prospect. They are people. Programs are fine, but yeah, they're still but those, people. But those are still people, and you ain't going to know nothing about them until you listen, and then you give them Jesus.
but that's my stuff. John, your final thoughts on you know what what you would have done different looking back on 12, 13 years. I think we've covered, you know, some of the things that most of the things that were, you know, and it just make <laughs> kind of makes me excited for tomorrow morning in a new way. Um, the people that I get to to see and interact with them, and Lord bless this conversation—a way to think about those people in a different way um, again tomorrow. Um, you know, you quoted Cole, but I always remember uh, Professor Deutschlander um, who said something maybe the same thing, very similar. Um, if if you knew all that was coming, uh, you would run uh, <laughs> to Timbuktu and never look back. Um, but at the end, you'll be uh, profoundly grateful for it. And then there's different mileposts along the way, not because you plan those mileposts at the 10-year, 25-year mark, but because the Lord uh, hits you upside the head in a way you didn't see coming uh, to, to let you be profoundly grateful for it at that time. You pray that's a blessing for the real people you get to serve. Um, yeah, I think maybe my final thoughts were um, <clears throat> probably would have done more about education, you know, being more intentional about catechism. Um, I think I'd put a fair amount of time into that, but um, re really trying, and, and this is something I kind of planned to do before I took a call to to teach in colleges. Do I have a relationship with all of my members at every stage of life? We had a preschool, so I got them there. Um, I had catechism starting in fifth grade. I got them there. Um, you, you had your adults uh, in Bible class and, and, and church. But I, there was a gap there you know, kindergarten to fourth grade. Am I a part of these kids' lives? And it's not necessarily a Bible class or whatever, although it could be, and I was trying to work towards that. But but it's not gimmicky. It's not yeah, programming. Yeah, it's not gimmicky. Am I, am I going to their things? Will I just show up at their Little League game? Will I go and be a part of their lives so that they look to me as somebody who cares about them and cares about them for this reason, their eternal destination. And uh, to be a part of their lives from birth at baptism, right? We get that and then we get jumped to catechism. But be a part of their lives between that two, I, I think was a gap that I never realized was there and, and, and started to realize and, and said, Man, I should have done more there. And after, not just to keep them as members, but to keep, to be there. Yeah. To be there, a part of their lives every step of the way. Because when you're a part of their lives, the church is a part of their lives. And uh, every step of the way, every year, are you making a connection to the third grader? Are you making a connection to the second grader? Are you making a connection to the 25-year-old? It doesn't have to be gimmicky. In fact, that probably is going to turn them off. But are you a part of their lives? I think was was such a was such a huge deal that, in a lot of ways, I did well at, but in in certain aspects, I really failed at, and and that was something that, if going back from the beginning, I wish I would have done better. So, yeah. Right, wait, before you wait, say let wait, the bird you, fly, I'm you close I'm, it out. No, wait. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. One book you've read or not read, you get to go back and read. You're a forty, not just religious, forty year old. Who happens to be a pastor? Go. 
Don't say Bible, that's mine. I'm just joking. <laughs> you start, since you have something in mind, Wade. I don't have something in mind, but I would say... Uh, I would pick something non-fiction, or something fiction, non-explicitly uh, Christian, and... Uh, Ah. I, I think uh, I'll jump in and you, yeah. you think about it. I, I don't have a specific one. I think that I have not read enough biographies. I think biographies more and more for me are getting into people's souls as best we can. I, I think those are th- th- those are maybe more important than, hey, here's a history of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. I should read a biography on Louis the Sixteenth or whatever. I uh, I think that I was, I didn't take enough time to read those biographies of great people, secular or religious, to get into their mindset and then therefore be being able to apply that to uh, the people that I met. Anything, John? You're talking to a guy who buys a lot of books, but I don't read nearly uh, enough of them. I think of things I return to um, uh, friends from high school year uh, to this day, uh, uh, Not Without My Daughter and My Name is Matab are are two books that uh, every time I return to them um, and just uh, maybe a realization, uh, two dear friends and uh, who the Lord brought through some uh, some times um and then just a reminder your parish and your community and your family are full of such people and the lord blesses you through those people and uh, maybe in some small way makes you a blessing to them as well um those are books that that bring that to the forefront uh, to me again and again so and i think as i'm kind of scouring my memory right now i would say I think uh, I'm gonna go back to Kierkegaard. I would uh, I would read the uh, the latest Aqua Blue Kierkegaard biography to uh, really get a sense for uh, people wrestling with the church as a thing and wrestling with people as people. So, Mike, uh, at the end of the day, we went long on this. What would you say we should probably do? Let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down Get on my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down